Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban. It's great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon. We are already a few days, the fifth day, the month of Elul. It's a great time. Time to feel re-energized, rejuvenated, and perhaps even resuscitated. Because during the month of Elul, we take time to do some self-introspection. It's a time to take stock of our behaviors, of, of our character traits, how good we've been this year and how much better we could become. And the resuscitation element is one of our sages tell us that we have to spend more time focused on CPR, charity, prayer, repentance, to resuscitate our souls during this time. In Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law tells us how this, of course, God is accessible year-round, always. And you could always do Teshuvah and give extra tzedakah and pray. But certainly in the month of Elul, it is a particularly propitious time when we are empowered, all the more so than any other time of the year, to tap into the opportunities of self-improvement. This month is especially empowering to fix what's broken, to get to a better place before starting the new year. And this is certainly, there's lots of ways of going about this. One of the particular areas we discussed last week about blowing the shofar, but perhaps another custom to talk about is that during the month of Elul, and in fact throughout Tishrei, we recite twice a day a special prayer, Psalm 27 of Tehillim by King David. Known as Ladavid Hashem Ari. This is a psalm by King David. One of the verses, in fact, it's verse 4, he says, Achas Hashem. One thing that I ask of the Lord. Oisa Avakesh. This is what I seek. Shifti Bebeis Hashem Kol That I might dwell in the house of Hashem, the house of the Lord, all the days of my life. Lachzos benoam Hashem, to see the pleasantness of the Almighty, ulevaka behecholo, and to visit His chamber. It's a very poignant and powerful and deeply spiritual request of King David. One thing I ask of you, Hashem, one thing that I yearn for, that I might sit to dwell, to live in the house of Hashem all the days of my life. All King David wants is to gaze at the delight of God Almighty, to spend time in the Divine Presence. And yet, when we turn to the commentaries that are offered by our sages, we're astounded. For example, in Medrash Tehillim, it tells us that Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana, he comments that King David was in fact asking for one very big thing, one big thing. What did he want? Royalty and kingship. Of course, we're astounded. What's going on? Really? We thought this was about piety and spirituality, which is why we're reciting the psalm in this month. I want to sit in the house of Hashem all the days of my life. Doesn't that sound more like a noble act? And yet, the Medrash is telling us, sounds more like a game of thrones, power, politics. I want to be the king. Royalty, dominion, kingship. Why would Reb Abba, great, great Talmudic scholar, why would he even suspect such deception in David HaMelech's prayer? 
David's words seem to be genuine and refined. He asks to be with Hashem all the days of his life. Yet, this venerable sage, Rabbi Abba, he says, no, King David just wants to be elected as monarch. He wants to be the king. But of course, there's a much deeper message here that Rabbi Abba is trying to convey. King David's life, as we know, was one that certainly is filled with intrigue, with clever maneuvering, escaping death's row so many times, trying to stay alive despite his numerous enemies within and without. Everywhere he turned, someone was out to get him. Think about it. His own father-in-law, King Saul, tried to kill him so many times. His own son of Shalom staged a powerful rebellion against him. Almost managed to actually take his life. So from close and far, David Amalek was always on the run. And you would have thought a humble prayer for safety and security would be the most appropriate thing. God, just give me a roof over my head. Let me die a natural death. I shouldn't have these enemies coming after me. Let my my child just treat me as as, as a father, as a human being, not to be after me like this. My father-in-law should, should quit his envy of me. David Amalek, the Tanakh tells us, at some point had to feign insanity actually. Because otherwise he had this he would be trapped by, by the Philistine king. He was hounded and, and hunted like an animal, hungry, cold, tired. Poor King David, he spent years in exile. Now think about this. What would you imagine should be the first prayer of such a man on the run, exhausted? trying to save his life, caught in an almost helpless situation. We would expect David to ask for just basic protection for, for, for human rights. Maybe he should ask for revenge of his enemies. A, a peaceful night's sleep. Yet David Amalek had a vision that transcended the battlefield. He didn't allow the anxiety, the stress of the moment to cloud what the ultimate goal of life is. And this is what our sages tell us what Rabbi Abba meant. King David did not pray like a beggar, like a pauper, like a, a shmata, a shlemil, a shlemazel. He didn't limit himself to the petty needs of the hour. He didn't get consumed with the stress of the moment, even though he surely was aware of it. Rather, he says, Rabbi Abba says, Malchus Sho'al. David Melech asked like a king. He prayed like a sovereign. He was bold. He was broad. He was undaunted in his perspective. He's King David. David had a royal reach, a regal appetite, a kingly thirst for greatness. And therefore, Rabba says, Malchus Shoal. David Melech asked like a king. He never forgot that he was destined to become the great monarch of Israel. And a king, even if he's starving, he remains proud. His vision large, his demeanor grand, his goals lofty, his purpose elevated. Even as he fled his enemies, he did not think of revenge or just survival, safety. He asked for ultimate greatness. One thing I ask of Hashem. This is what I seek. Shifti Hashem that I could dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life, to see the pleasantness of the Lord, to visit his chamber. He kept his eye on the ultimate goal of life. What was the ultimate goal of life? What is the end goal of everything? Yes, we all want money and we want to be healthy and we want a roof over our heads and maybe a nice house, maybe maybe a, a holiday home, maybe, you know, you want comfort and security and respect and friendship. But if I can have that, if I am king, what do I ask for? I want to be connected to Hashem. I want to be true to myself. I want to be one with my core, with my truth, with the true reality. I want to sit in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I may be a tycoon, I may be the king, I may be a business person, a housewife, a dentist, an accountant, a lawyer, a rabbi, whatever it is. But whatever I do, and wherever I am, the end goal of all of that is, I want to be one with Hashem. And this perhaps is one of the reasons why we recite this particular passage, this prayer, this capital, this chapter of Tehillim, of Psalms during this time of the year, from Rosh Chodesh Elul all the way through to Hashanah Rabbah. The question that confronts us during the season of the high holidays, the days of awe and joy that we're approaching very soon, is how do we define our goals, our ambitions? What is it about? Michelangelo famously said, the greatest danger of most of us lies not in setting our aim too high and falling short, but in setting our goals too low and actually reaching it. This is what we need to ask ourselves. How high can we reach? Are we just satisfied with mediocrity? Like small-minded souls? Or will we strive for great accomplishments like aristocrats of the great spirit? That is what we have to ask ourselves. Of course, we need to be realistic. We need to be true to ourselves. We need to have our feet on the ground. Right? Don't be naive. Nonetheless, too many of us are afraid to think big and to act great. We limit our horizons. We cramp our own growth. And this is what I think Rabbi meant. If you want to learn how to broaden your horizons in life, in any sphere, physical or spiritual, whether it's in terms of your business, your relationships, your family, your marriage, your commitments to God as a Jew, your involvement in the community, just look at David HaMelech. What is our royal reach what are we able to achieve? What are our goals in the new year? And as we stand just over three weeks to Rosh Hashanah, can we still fulfill the goals of the past year? Can we still commit to those resolutions? Instead of saying, you know, they go in one year out the other. But rather to see the truth and to realize Carpe diem, as we say in this show. Do I really seize every moment of my day? Do I ensure that I'm not squandering my time away? This is perhaps the question. In a royal, regal way that King David was asking himself. And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Because this 
is the time, a reminder how time indeed flies by when you're having fun, of course. So let's make it not just fun. Remember, fun is part of fundamental. It is important. Unfortunately, part of my job as a rabbi includes fundraising. It's not the fun part, but perhaps one of my responsibilities is to take fundraising and make it fund. Remember my good old friend, Herbie Rosenberg, who used to say, just sing. Make the fun and the sing. That's all part of the fundraising. A friend of mine recently sent me a quote on WhatsApp. And it says, welcome to the 21st century. Our phones, wireless, cooking, fireless, cars, keyless, food, fatless, tires, tubeless, tools, cordless, dress, sleeveless, youth, jobless, leaders, shameless, relationships, meaningless, attitude, careless, babies, fatherless, feelings, heartless, education, valueless, children, mannerless, government, clueless. And then he concluded, if you don't share this, then you are worthless. But the truth we know is that we are all empowered to make changes, to achieve our true potential. My friends, this is what we are being reminded of all of the time. This is the reminder this time of the year. One of my favorite stories I love, uh, my kids know it so well because it's, it's a great story and a reminder about what we could achieve if we only believe. And it's a story that was actually told over at uh, an ag- a graduation address a couple of years ago where a very famous, world-renowned uh, business tycoon, philanthropist, the CEO of the Willis Group Holdings named Joseph Plumeri. He asked the students whether they heard of this big building in Chicago, Windy City, called Sears Tower. Of course, they all knew about it. But he reminded them that, you know, this is the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, or at least it was at some stage. And when it was completed in 1973, it actually surpassed the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers at the time in New York, became the tallest building in the world. And for some time, it held that title. Well, more than, I mean, you think of how many people have, have been up there all the time. But as you might know, at least he told his students then, it's no longer known as Sears Tower. Today, it is called Willis Tower, which is the name of his company. And... In fact, I think at that graduation speech, if I recall the story correctly, he told the students that he was going to rename it Willis Tower. Well, of course, people thought that's ridiculous, that's impossible, they laughed at him. The name Sears Tower is the name of the building has been called for for decades. You're going to come along and change the name? And he told them that, you know, Sears, which is a major chain company in America, uh, a huge department store. And in fact, that had over 140,000 employees. They actually had not been in the building sometimes since the 90s. And the building was nearly vacant. They were sitting there 
with a major vacancy. So when Mr. Pomeri met with the owner of the building, which was significantly vacant, he told the owners that he needs 2% of the space. 2%, 2%, I don't know if it was the building or the vacancy space, but they negotiated a price, and when their owner asked, do we have a deal? Mr. Bamali said, well, almost, except for one small thing. You need a new name, a vibrant name, a name that signifies the future, not the past. I want to change the name of your building. And so in 2009, when this negotiation was done, the Willis Insurance Company moved into the building and the name was changed from Sears Tower to Willis Tower. And Mr. Palmieri said that when they dedicated that building and he said, he was telling the graduates, I was on the evening news and the anchor asked him, Joe, after so many years it was called Sears Tower, how did you get them to change the name to your company, to Willis? And he said, I looked into the camera and said two words. I asked. My friends, this is what the first message that I want to convey today. As during the month of El, we are reciting this extra Psalm 27, the David Hashem Ari. Remember the words of the verse, Achas Sha'alti. Just ask. King David said, I ask for one thing. Just have the courage to ask. To seek, to really want. Just ask the Almighty. And have no doubt that Hashem will grant you. Answer your prayers and fulfill your wishes. If you're so deserving. And even if not, at least you asked. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. And ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, let's continue our conversation. We talk about one thing to ask of Hashem, but it's not only about our relationship with the Almighty. We also have to consider our relationship with each other. In fact, during the time of Elul, when we do our spiritual resuscitation, our CPR, charity, prayer and repentance, Teshuvah, Tefillah, Tzedakah, it's not only about our relationship with the Almighty. It's also with ourselves. We take stock during this period of the year. We reflect. We dig deep into our personality, some self-introspection, not only about our spiritual endeavors, but also how are we with our fellow human beings? How are we with ourselves? You know the phrase, Shalom Chaver, I first heard it from former U.S. President Bill Clinton in his eulogy, his hesped for Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Sadly, we remember that time what is it, about 27 years ago or so, when he was assassinated. And those words, Shalom Chaver, were quickly turned into lapel pins, at least where I was growing up in New York, bumper stickers, baseball caps, people were wearing them, people were saying them. It was like an expression that became familiar to everyone. Everyone in Israel was moved. People were touched that Bill Clinton, the American president, made it a point to speak two Hebrew words while eulogizing the Prime Minister of Israel and really essentially talking to the people of Israel. He stepped out of his boundaries to try to speak their language. 
And for doing so, he earned a lot of appreciation. People really were impressed by his thoughtfulness because when you want to really connect with someone, you try to speak their language. And when we talk about this, the one request that we ask of Hashem, it's not only about improving and refining that relationship we have with God, but we have to consider how are we in our interpersonal relationships. And while it's true about spoken language, the consideration, the sensitivity, the empathy that we might have for another, it's also true of any language in which human beings connect. And I'm not just talking about language as in Hebrew or Afrikaans or Zulu or English or whatever language you like. I'm talking here about the relationships, the language we speak in our interpersonal relationships with others. There's a famous relationship counselor, a marriage coach, Dr. Barry Chapman. Gary Chapman, he says that when he asked kids if the parents love them, if the kid said yes, then he asks them, how do they know, what proof do they have that their father or their mother actually truly love them? And he relates how one kid would tell him, you know, every time my father comes home from work or when he comes back from a business trip or whatever it is, he brings me a special present. He brings me a gift. He remembers me. He always shows that affection. And another kid would say, my mother always hugs me. She kisses me. So I know that she loves me very much. And perhaps another kid would, would say that whenever his father has free time, he'll sit with him on the floor and play with him, read him some books, have fun together. And, you know, we go around, different kids say different things. Another kid will say his parents tell him that they're so proud of him, that he's so intelligent, he's smart, he's talented, handsome, good looking, whatever it is, that these are the indicators of what kids say. Maybe another kid says, mommy always makes me sandwiches to take to school, even if I can make them myself. She always steps out of her zone to make sure that everything I need is there for me. And kids will express the ways the specific uh, ways that the parents show them love. So what Dr. Chapman repeatedly found is that every kid who is certain that his or her parents love them, they, you know, they do this for, for completely different reasons. The fact that, you know, this, this whole idea led him to conclude that actually There are different love languages, which is what he discovered, what he found in this, in this research that he conducted. And in fact, he wrote a book that is quite famous now called The Five Love Languages. It's a bestseller. It was translated into so many languages. You see, from his experience in counseling thousands of couples with marriage issues, Dr. Gary Chapman discovered that one of the most prevalent problems was that couples spoke different languages of love. And they weren't, each one spoke their own language, so they weren't talking to each other, perhaps over each other. You know, for example, he says, with one couple who came to see him, the wife said that her husband didn't love her and didn't care about her at all. And in his own offense, the husband said, that he works really hard to support his family. He covers all their expenses, all the costs and pays for all their needs. And not only that, when he gets home after a long day at work, that he's the one who has to make dinner. 
He's the one who's actually winding up doing the laundry. I don't know what else I could do to express my love, he said. So Dr. Chapman looked at the wife in surprise. He says, well, you know, what do you have to say about this? And she says, yes, it's true you do everything, but you're always so busy. You never have any time for me. You never sit down for half an hour to talk to me. So what Dr. Chapman was deriving, what emerged from these sessions, was that the husband was just doing what he saw his own father doing. How his father expressed love to his mother and to his family by being a good breadwinner, by cooking, by cleaning, by, by, by ironing the clothing. So he was just following his father's footsteps. But his own wife, what she wanted more than perhaps presence was presence. She wanted the quality time, not just the time that he was giving to the family for their domestic needs. And after years of research, what Dr. Chapman discovered through all these isolated events is he developed this idea, this concept that he writes in his book, Five Love Languages. So let's just read them quickly because we actually discussed them in a previous class that we once did. One is words of affirmation. Everyone enjoys a warm word, but many of us need that, need more of those expressions, the affirmations more than others. Right? We need to repeatedly hear that we are beloved, we are worthy, we want to hear these words because it reinforces, it boosts our self-esteem. And for such types, compliments are to them what oxygen is to the body. Without it, the body collapses. They need those words of affirmation. How amazing, how good, how special. So number one is what we said, words of affirmation. Number two, quality time. Now some people feel connected to this spouse or the children, even if they're thousands of kilometers away. But some people need to go out together, maybe go on a date, maybe spend time to feel connected, or at least to to take a walk together, to do something. Dr. Chapman writes that when his own kids were little, he would encourage them to take walks with him. But his son would never agree. He would say that he wasn't up to going anywhere. He doesn't want to go on a walk. His daughter, however, would always go with him for these walks, even after she grew up and became a very busy doctor. Whenever she came to visit her parents, she'd always ask her father if he wanted to go for a walk. Why? Because to her, quality time was an expression of their relationship. So what for one might be the words of affirmation that makes the difference. For the other, it's the quality time. And yet, other people like gifts. Some people just don't need gifts at all. They don't care about it. It doesn't make, doesn't speak to them. What difference does it make? But there are plenty of people who look forward to the presence, not just presence, being present, but the gifts, the presence that are going to come their way. When the birthday comes, there's this anticipation, this excitement. What gift am I getting this year? And only when they get those presents, do they know that they're really truly valued and appreciated and loved. The present expresses it. When a husband comes home on an ordinary day, even with the smallest thing for his wife, even a tiny flower, the very fact that he thought about her, it gives that special 
romantic feeling. It shows her that he cares about her and he values her for everything that she does for him. And indeed, to some couples, those presents make a huge, tremendous difference. Another, you might say, is behaviors, acts of service. We talked so far about words of affirmation, we talked about quality of time, gifts. The fourth one that he discusses is acts of service. Some people feel loved if you do something for them. You make them a meal, you wash the the, the, the clothes, you clean up, you, 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 you make a sandwich, whatever it is. The simple act of lending a helping hand to your loved one can make them feel more loved than they would feel maybe even through words of affirmation, the compliments or, or the gifts or the quality time, the, the act of service you did for them. And it commonly happens that a wife will say to a husband, you're great at the compliments, but I don't need your words. I need your help. I need you to go this, to do the shopping. You know, don't buy me chocolates. I'll put the kids to bed. So such a spouse doesn't want their, the admiration, doesn't want the words, or even a, 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 a home helper, a domestic helper. They want you to be involved. They want to shoulder the burden together. And then finally, number five, he says, is touch. Physical touch. How does your rabbi always know in the middle of davening when somebody's walked into the shul? Because when he hears the backslapping and the handshaking that men typically give each other, he knows that another actor has just walked onto the stage. So you have some people who feel that you love them only when you hug them. Talk doesn't, just doesn't cut it. It's not enough. Talk is cheap. They want that physical touch, whether we're not just talking about intimate, we're talking about just a, you know, friends, a social touch, a handshake. Some people cringe, some people don't like that. And that's exactly the point we're making. That for some people, that's what connects them. And for others, that is not what they want and not what they need. If you're giving a handshake to the person who wants a compliment, then we're talking the, long, the wrong language to each other. And the fact is that people have different love languages, which is the premise of Dr. Chapman's book. And this is what happens a lot, is that maybe a husband whose own love language is an act of service, right? he values his wife making him a good meal and serving him, while her love language is something completely different. She wants maybe words of affirmation. But the problem is, that he gives her something that she doesn't value. Something that he values, maybe. So he's constantly giving her, but she never, she just never feels the love because that's not what she appreciates. She doesn't hear him saying how much he values her. There's no words of affirmation. So instead, they're not, they're, they're not communicating. They're just talking the, ro- the wrong language to each other. It's like he's speaking English and see, she's speaking Zulu. They're just not going to click. And what happens? That sets the stage in their relationship for all sorts of problems, both between themselves and between them and the kids and everything else, because what's happening is people are just not communicating in the same way. Of course they love each other and love their kids. We're talking about good, normal human beings. But they don't always speak the right language to each other. Now, for example, I know of a married couple 
in which the husband is constantly bombarding his wife with gifts and, and the wife is constantly, you know, smothering her husband with words of affirmation. But they still have problems in their relationship. Why? Because she doesn't like presents. She doesn't want more clutter in the house. And he, he doesn't go for all these compliments. It's not his thing. Don't, you know, I don't like those, all those, you know, lovey-dovey words. So each one has their own love language, not the other's love language. And so if she would give him gifts and he would give her words of affirmation, guess what? Perhaps they would have just a lovely marriage between them. But that doesn't mean that each individual speaks only well loving, only one, only one of the love languages. Of course, you know, it's not unusual for a person who wants affirmation to also appreciate gifts or quality time. Uh, some people that are bilingual, you know, and uh, even trilingual. So of course we wonder, how do we determine what's a person's love language? Well, one way to discover it is to check how Perhaps whatever you're doing is affecting, it's impacting the other person, right? So I know we have people who love volunteering, who come to our Chabad Seniors program and spend every Friday bringing food parcels and speaking with them, you know, connecting with, with senior citizens, right? That, that's probably a good sign that they'll feel valued if someone were to do some simple act of service for them, just like they like to do for others. The problem is that it often happens that people use a certain love language, not because that's their their love language, but because that's what they saw at home. Like the person I mentioned to you that Dr. Chapman saw, he grew up seeing his parents do such. Right? They saw dad constantly doing whatever, buying gifts for mom. So that's what they do. So our challenge is to seek to identify what truly makes the other person feel loved whether a spouse, a child, or even an employer or a boss, what is it that makes the difference? And that's something that we need to take into consideration. And of course, we have to bring this back to our topic of discussion, which is how to refine our interpersonal relationships as we are getting ready for Rosh Hashanah. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Salt to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you here and to conclude today's segment. My friends, I need to confess I'm not a marriage counselor. And right here on Chai FM, you could certainly tap into the helpline if one really needs that kind of help. But as we're in the month of Elul, it's really a time to reflect on our relationship with the Almighty, our relationship with our family, with friends, you know, charity begins at home, and of course, with ourselves, because if we're depleted of the energy, of the spiritual upliftment, then how can we be of inspiration to others? And the fact is that twice a day we say, you should love Hashem your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So even with love of God, which we have to spend the time now as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah, working in all three areas, in all these areas, whether it's 
our spiritual or our interpersonal, we have to think of these love languages. We need to express our love for God in all of these languages just as we do for our fellow human beings. And let's just think to bring it back to the beginning of our discussion. Since Achas Sha'alti, we want one thing is to be intimately, intricately connected with the Almighty. And so let's go back to these five love languages and think how not only do they pertain to our relationships with our fellow human beings, to our family and friends, but also our relationship with Hashem. Let's start with the words of affirmation. Those, we certainly realize it works very well in a relationship with others to share encouraging words. Well, we say so many blessings and prayers every day, and particularly during this month, where we increase in our teshuva, tefillah, tzedakah. So we are expressing our appreciation for everything that God gives us and does for us. Every blessing that we say, we are thanking Hashem for sustaining us, for preserving us, for giving us all our blessings. Right? We make a blessing of food. Whether it's a blessing, you know, think of all the blessings that you make in a day. We thank God. We pray to God. That is certainly words of affirmation that we could express to the Almighty. What about gifts? How do you give Hashem a gift? I mean, does God need our money? But like we said, charity, the first part of the CPR, when we feed the poor, when we support our local institutions, whether it's our shul or any communal organization, support us here at Chabad House with all our activities, we're actually giving a gift to God Himself. Tzedakah is the best gift you can give God because you are saying, God, the blessings that you give me, I'm now not harboring or holding it on for myself, but I'm sharing it with others. I'm doing with it that which you entrusted me to. How about quality time? Right there, think about that. We want to spend quality time with our spouse, with our children. Like I said, the best present we could give somebody is our presence. Well, there are plenty of occasions, especially with the Yamim type and with the high holidays coming up, where people complain that, you know, shul's taking too long. And it's true. You need to come to shul and put in a request for a good year from God. But shouldn't asking once be enough? Why do we have to say our prayers over and over again? Why must we be so redundant and repetitive? It only takes a couple of minutes to rattle off all my needs, right? So why do I need a few hours? Now, the truth is, my friends, we go to shul actually to hang out with God. Just to spend time with the Almighty. The same way I need to spend time with my wife and my children, and you might want to spend with a good friend, to spend some quality time with the Almighty. That's what we do when we pray, when we go to shul. It's not just about the words, the affirmation. It's also about being present, showing God that we care, hanging out, connecting with our Father in Heaven. And I encourage everybody to utilize that quality time to spend time with God from time to time. Think about Shabbos. Shabbos is a perfect day of the week, an oasis in time, where we could put aside and close up all the distractions. 
If you're not up to doing the full Shabbos, well, why don't you try it partially? But spend that quality time with Hashem. And so, my friends, we discussed three. Number four, physical touch. Physical touch might not really seem to apply. How do you touch God? You know, God has no corporeal, physical body or image. But still, there are so many commandments that we perform, that we do, that actually use physical touch. You could kiss your mezuzah. You could eat matzah. You can light your Shabbos candles or put on tefillin. We don't just look at the tefillin. We don't just think about the matzah or talk about Shabbos. We have to physically do the mitzvah. Think about the physical touch. All the Jewish rituals, all the, so many of the mitzvahs that we do, whether it's daily or just for Shabbos or just for Yom Tov, our traditions are full of rituals that we could perform physically. So make sure you engage in your Yiddishkeit in a very physical way. It's nice. It's good to have words of affirmation, prayers to God, and the quality time that we spend with Hashem on Shabbos, and the charity we give as gifts. Think about the physical touch. And finally, we talked about acts of service. Chesed. Judaism is full of mitzvahs that require us to actually go out of our way to personally help another person in need. Not with money, but with kindness. With acts of routine kindness. You may have seen our ARC campaign from Chabad House. ARC stands for Acts of Routine Kindness. Now, we need to choose which mitzvah we're going to do. The truth is, they're all important. But maybe there's a particular love language that holds more importance to you personally. Just like when you come to shul, Maybe all the prayers is overwhelming, but you could find a particular passage, maybe a particular psalm, like we started today's discussion about Psalm 27 that we say during the month of Elul. Or whatever it might be that talks to you, that resonates with you, that you feel particularly connected to. So just like perhaps in a marriage, there's one aspect, one language of love that is... That, that works more so for you. Of course, there is in our relationship with Hashem too. Find those areas that resonate better with you and make them sparkle and shine in your connection with Hashem. So whether it's an act of chesed, of an act of kindness that you are going out to do for somebody else, whether it's the physical touch of a mitzvah, right? Without physical touch, you may be best friends, but you can't be married to your spouse if there's no physical touch. We need union between a husband and wife to produce the next generation, the continuity of the family, the perpetuation of Judaism. And I think in our relationship with Hashem, the same thing, all connections with God, just like all the love languages are important, they're meaningful. But the physical rituals, the touch, the tefillin, the kosher, the Shabbos, the holidays, that's what produces the next generation of Jews who will continue the chain of tradition and will make our Yiddishkeit not just survive, but to thrive. So my friends, I implore you, 
to find your connection, your touch point, your love language, and let it, let it blossom, let it grow. Seize that moment, seize that opportunity. And as you connect with Hashem, ask God, but don't be cheap in that ask. Remember that as we discussed today, we are adding this prayer throughout the next five, six weeks or more. We're saying Psalm 27. And as we ask Hashem, we realize the, the beauty of King David's request, how he didn't limit it to a pauper's request. It seems, you know, all he wants to do is gaze at the delight of Hashem to spend time in God's place. But as we discussed the commentary that, this, that, that, that expounds on that, 